You're listening to a Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. The sixth annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland interdisciplinary conference took place at NUI Galway in August 2016. The conference was generously supported by an NUI Galway President's Award for Research Excellence to Professor Stephen Ellis, the Moore Institute at NUI Galway, the Discipline of History at NUI Galway, and the Society for Renaissance Studies. As in previous years, the majority of papers were recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media, in association with UCD's History Hub. There are now more than 140 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences freely available. To access this archive, go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts or visit tudorstuartireland.com. In this episode, a recording of a paper by independent scholar John Kelly. His paper was entitled The Exactions of a Minor Demon or the Service of a Faithful Countryman. Collection of Cess, Pardons and Fines by Robert Hartpole, Constable of Carlow, between 1569 and 1571. Good afternoon, everybody. In the Irish Constitutional Review of the 16th century, Brendan Bradshaw describes a prototype of a species of minor demon whose influence on the Irish history was to be altogether more baneful than the major demons. Bradshaw was referred to as William Brabazon, but in the microcosm of Carlow and Queen's County in the Tudor period, could this description also be applied to Robert Hartpole, who was Constable of Carlow? Harpole's activities between 1569 and 1571 on the Earl of Ormond's lands in the county of Carlow resulted in a formal complaint against him and his men, which was preserved in the state papers. This paper will examine Harpole's role, powers and personality, the specific uh, political and social circumstances that existed in Carlow at the time, and what is known about the individual characters named in the document and their roles in society. The state papers for the period contains various complaints about cess and other excesses by state officials, However, what makes this complaint so significant is the wealth of genealogical, economic and social data about the population of the area and the reality of their lives in 16th century Ireland. This paper will also briefly examine a similar complaint by Sir Peter Carew relating to the cessing of Lachlan and the Barony of Idron in the same period. So, who was Robert Hartpole? This is an image from Derek's Image of Ireland um, and it's about, it's, apparently it's about the rescue of uh, Henry Harrington and Cosby uh, by troops led by Harpole and um, I just think this image of the English officer performing his duty probably ably captures Harpole's personality and um, we don't appear to have an image of Harpole or, or a picture of him anywhere. He was from Canterbury in Kent. His family pedigree can be traced to William Hartlepool who was named in a charter of King Edward III dated 1330. Using references to the state papers we can trace his arrival in Ireland to about 1549 when he was 35 years old. He was accompanied, or later joined, by two of his brothers, Walter and Thomas. Walter became Dean of Lachlan in 1588, and Thomas served as an officer in the army. Both are buried in Ballyadam Cemetery in County Leash, and the gravestab still exists. And this is it. Um, you can, it's, it's very faint, but you can sort of see the, the, the robe of, the, of the, 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 the Dean of Lachlan on it. Harpole was named as one of the consignees of Leash in 15, of Leaks in 1556, by 1571, he had risen through the Tudor administration to hold the offices of the Constable of Carlow and Sheriff of the County, gathering substantial land holdings in both Carlow and Queen's County along the way. As well as controlling the garrison of Carlow, he also had a personal band of irregulars in Kern. He was a receipt of a number of commissions to execute martial law in this period. One of these authorised him to execute the martial law in the County Carlock, with power to search out after the order of martial law all disorders committed in the county, and on finding any persons to be felons, rebels, enemies, or other notorious evildoers, to punish them by death or otherwise. Another legal device he benefited from was the grant of pardons. These were frequently used to provide post facto indemnity for activity. 
One pardon granted to Hart Paul cleared him of acts committed in the execution of martial law during which he may have offended without malice against the rigour of the laws. In fact, Hartpole received a pardon on the 31st of October 1573, just after the period of the complaint. Hartpole himself died in 1594. His effigy strangely now lies in, anonymously in the People's Park in Port Harlington in County Leash, where he was moved there from Carlow in the 19th century by one of his descendants. That's another fascinating, hopefully unfinished story. I passed through it on the way over. It's actually very badly vandalised at the moment. It's covered in gloss paint. Um, the granting of such unrestricted powers, as was given to Harpole and other constables, but, uh, to locally-based officials, whose holdings have been largely seized from local landowners, coupled with a general drive for self-enrichment among these officials, was a recipe for trouble. So, the, the cessing of Carlo, cessing Carlo. The complaint against Harpole arose out of his activities on the Carlo lands of Thomas Butler, 10th end of Ormond, Arm, Arm, in 1569 to 1571. It's interesting to note that the complaint occurred just after the ending of the Ormond Rebellion. Hartpole was a local military leader. He had opposed the revolt and was a witness to the submission of Sir Edmund Butler at Kilkenny. Ormond himself had played a key role in defusing the rebellion and severely punished some of his participants, but obviously not his brothers. In making the complaint, Ormond may also have also been attempting to strengthen his position and reassert his authority in the area and the rights in the independence of his lordship. Also, the complaint should be viewed in the context of the exemption of cess granted to Ormond for the counties of Kilkenny and Tipperary in June 1569 in return for his agreement to abolish coin and livery. Any, any extension of this concession had been opposed by Lord Deputy Sidney, who said, if this is granted for the lands within the pale, other landowners will look for the same privileges. Ormond and Sidney had a very fractious relationship. Sidney complained in his memoir that Ormond persecuted him with unjust and untrue informations. The departure of Sydney in 1571 and his replacement by the more sympathetic Sir William Fitzwilliam may have made Ormond consider this an opportune moment to raise the issue of cess on his Carlo lands. And we'll now move on to the, the context of the complaint. This is the, the first, uh, the, from the state papers, this is the first page. There are eight full pages of, of writing on this. It's a very extensive complaint. Um, it contains loads of detail, names, places, uh, financial information. So... The first thing you need to complain is that Ormond's men. So here's Thomas Butler, the Earl of Ormond. This is from the Journal of the uh, Kenyan Saudi Archaeological Society. It's a, a hand-drawn um, image. I'm not sure who by. So the witness statements in the complaint were recorded by two of Ormond's most trusted men, Patrick Gough and Walter Archer Jr. Walter Archer Jr. Gough was an alderman of the city of Dublin at this time. He had served as sheriff of Dublin in 1560 and would be his mayor in 1575. He was a witness to a number of deeds and receives grants of lands in Dublin and Arklow from Ormond. In the restricted confines of the Tudor administration, Hartpole and, and uh, Goff's paths were bound across. They both sat on the commission which established the County Wicklow in 1578. Walter Arthur Jr. was a member of one of Kilkenny's principal families. They were resident in the city since at least the 13th century. And Walter, Arthur was poor, Walter Archer was Port Reeve of Kilkenny in 1345 and according to Carrigan, from thence to the year 1652, the name of Archer is found in no fewer than 64 times in the lists of magistrates as Port Reeves, sovereigns, mayors, sheriffs, coroners, etc. The Archer family were trusted servants of Ormond and performed legal and clerical work on his behalf, acting as witnesses in a large number of deeds. Interestingly, Walter went on to hold lands in the area of Carlow, which this complaint, which this complaint dealt with. Um, an inquisition into his will on the 18th of October 1626 recorded he was seized of the rectory and parsonage of Tullafalem, Kilrocka and Ratfilly. And we'll talk about those as we go along. 
Another Ormond client mentioned in the complaint is James Grace, Constable of Athrilly. In August 1572, after the period in question, again, he received, another person received lands in the area. He received the house, the castle and the city of Ratvilly in the County Carlow, with the towns and villages and hamlets of Rahill, Brosselstown, Walterstown, Richardstown and Ratdonnell. Uh, Grace died in 1605 and is buried in Bottleglass Abbey. This is a, a picture of his grave slab. If you ever get a chance to see it, it's the most intricate and beautiful grave slab you'll ever see. Some of the detail on it is really fascinating and, and really well done. It the picture doesn't give it any, um, doesn't do it any justice. So, I speak now about the Harpole and his men. So, Harpole had a number of subordinates in, um, who commanded different groups of men under his authority. It's notable that the garrison at Carlow Castle didn't, didn't participate in these activities. Um, his main lieutenant was Owen Dowler O'Byrne. He was Harpole's brother-in-law and a member of the Coltham and Sept of the O'Byrnes. His name is Harpole Sergeant. O'Byrne lived in Tin Ryland in Carlow. His name is linked with Harpole in at least three pardons, the last one dated 1584. He seems to have been particularly despised, probably because he was primarily oppressing his own countrymen and neighbours. One of the complainants, Shea McGillipatrick, accused him of being a common extortioner. The use of Gaelic lieutenants by English captains was not uncommon. Rory Rappel has noted that the captains and Irish strongmen seemed to have everything stitched up, much to the chagrin of those landed gentlemen and householders who were forced to submit to their extractions. Harpo's band, it seems to be largely a clan affair as well. Band members, um, Gillipatrick McFerr, William McFerr and Tyg McFerr were also members of the Colton and Sept. Other members of the band were identified as the wonderfully named Morris Boney O'Corn, Tyg McRichard and Atiabal Fitz Thomas of Lisneva was described as a horseman and servant of Harpole. Um, on the complainant's side, there's another uh, butler, sorry, Theobald Fitzthomas was a butler, butler of his Navarre. However, on the complainant's side, there's another butler, Robert Fitzedmund Butler of Williamstown. He complained about Harpole's treatment of a number of individuals in the Ratville area, making representations on behalf of a number of persons. This suggests he was a person of standing in the area. And perhaps the tensions in the butler family um, and the fragmentation of the Butler family, which uh, Bobby had referred to earlier, may have been reflected in Carlo as well, with, um, with, with Robert Fitzwilliam Butler taking, uh, taking a side against Grace, who would have been Ormond's main man in the area. Harpole's sub-sheriff uh, for County Carlo was William Begg. He appears once in the state records, then he disappears again, as a lot of the minor uh, functionaries that period would. Another Harpole subordinate is Donald MacGerald of Moyle, who was captain of Harpole's Cairn and commanded 100 men. MacGerald was accompanied by Art Duff, captain of Sir Henry Devell's Cairn. It's alleged when the boat were on duty in Radvilly, they consumed the country so much that the inhabitants were unable to pay their rents. Devell's was a close contemporary and close ally of Harpole, and their families intermarried over the years, and they often operated together. They're often mentioned together in pardons. So, to the, the body of the complaint was Harpole, was he, was he cloaking extortion or was he administering justice? The complainants who made depositions to Arpole, to, to Archer and Goff represent all strata of society. They are cottiers, labourers, cairn, freeholders, husbandmen, clerks, gentlemen and the priest at Michel. The Carra lands which the complaint refers to include the Fort O'Nolan roughly equates to the modern barony of Fort in County Carlow, not to be confused with the barony of Fort in Wexford. So, Radvilly, the barony of Radvilly is here, the barony of Fort is here. So, it's all the, the, um, the eastern side of Carlow, bordering on Wicklow and North Wexford, um, that area. The Ormond deeds record the barony of Fort O'Nolan, an ancient Irish territory, had in the early times of the conquest been regarded as an Ormond acquisition. It had long reverted to the Irish lords, but the Earl of Ormond, as Palatine Lord, now claimed paramount Lord there. 
Other Butler holdings in the area were Radville, Clonmore, Kellistown, Powerstown and Lachlan. These were granted by Henry VIII in 1538 to Piers Butler after the suppression of the revolt of Silken Thomas in acknowledgement of his eminent services lately performed in the wars of Ireland. One of the chief's complaints made was that hard his men collected fines and payments for pardons that were never given, sometimes returning for multiple payments. For example, Kerr MacDonough and Owen of Ballantrain paid a fine but never received a pardon and had to obtain the pardon elsewhere. Callag McOney O'Kelly of Rahim Killan is, accused, is named as a deponent against Harpole and accused him of forcing Kerr Rowe and Donna Duff MacLacy Nee Kelly to pay a pardon which they never received. It was also claimed that Harpole had assessed in other inhabitants of the barony of Fort O'Nolan several times, but the inhabitants never received, uh, never agreed to assess, nor were ever paid for the kind or sheep taken. Even the lowest class of person didn't escape his eye. He took a hen and a heap of wheat from every poor cottier yearly. Harpole is also accused of seizing garrons and hackneys and holding them until, the, until paid a fine for the release. Morris Muel O'Corn, the parish priest of Michael, had one plough garron key seized and kept for ten days. The reason given for the seizure was that they were required to pull ammunitions, but the inhabitants disputed this and stated that Harpole did convert the most part of the profit for his own use. While Harpole's commission allows him to execute any rebels on sight, he appears more interested in the collection of bribes and fines than meeting out any serious punishment. A number of persons alleged to be or having assisted rebels were able to evade the ultimate penalty by paying fines. For example, in exchange for a horse and a guarantee of good behaviour, Dermot MacDonald Lenach, described as a notorious rebel, avoided having to answer at the sessions. For buying a pair of old holes from a rebel, the unfortunate Shane Tommy of Rateau claims he was delivered to his utter impoverishment as Dowla, Hartpole and Begg each individually visited him and collected fines totalling 20 shillings and fourpence and a peck of malt valued at 7 shillings and eightpence. Harpole was also not above interfering with due process. Henry MacArthur of Ballantrain and Brian MacGerald of Kilconnell both claimed they were subject to trials by rigged juries. MacGerald accused Harpole of picking the jury to cloak his extortion rather than to minister justice. But even being found innocent was no protection. Edmund O'Hare was cleared of felony, but Harpole kept all the seized goods. The same fate befell the labourer Mortega Boy, who after being discharged of felony was still charged eight shillings in fees and Harpole kept his three cows. The most illustrative and complicated allegation concerns what made him in a scam perpetrated by a coron, member Morris Boney O'Coran, and four of the McFur family, William, Patrick, Tyg and Gillipatrick, on Tumulta Kilsida of Kellistown. William McFur and O'Coran allegedly stole a plough horse from Patrick McFur. They sold the horse to Kinsella. Tyg, who was brother of Patrick who owned the horse, complained to Harpole. In turn, Gillipatrick, who was Harpole's sergeant, detained Kinsella and O'Coran. Harpole seized the plough horse, found Kinsella nine shillings, and O'Corn and William McFair, who allegedly sold the horse in the first place, got off scot-free without a mention. So there obviously was something going on there. So the complaint goes on and on. What was the outcome of it? In Elizabeth's wars, Hammer states, complaints to the English government about the conduct of officers and officials in Ireland were legion. They were usually stifled by the intervention of courtiers or councillors, anxious to protect their friends and relatives. However, it seems in this case, Ormond's complaint may have been met with some success. An order from the Lord Deputy and Council dated 15, September 1573 notes that a third part of the Fort O'Nolan appertaining to the Earl of Ormond has been stayed from cess by an order of the Queen's letters. However, this exemption was short-lived. The same order went on to rescind his exemptions and ordered Harpole and the Bells to cess the third part. Harpole's activities continued unabated. Complaints about his conduct were brought to the attention of the administration but never resulted in any serious consequences. An example of this can be seen in the ongoing series of complaints against him regarding the cessing of Idron, where Harpole ignored the instructions of both the Lord Deputy and Council. Barry of Idron is here, it's on the western side of Carlow, 
Lachlan Bridge is the chief town there. Lachlan Bridge, a very important centre at the time, controlled, the, it was responsible for security at the barrow as far as St Mullins. At the time when Carlo would have had eight members in the garrison, Lachlan Bridge had 31. So it was a, it was a very, a very imp- important area. Um, Sir Edward Bellingham had built the fort there in 1647. Um, so... In 1571, Sir Peter Carew, here's Sir Peter Carew from the life and times of Sir Peter Carew, um, complained that the cess imposed on the barony of Idrow to support and supply the garrison of the fort of Lachlan was collected at up to twice the agreed rate. It was not repaid even when the garrison received its full pay, and he claimed the cess is taken violently from some of the inhabitants of the barony without discretion or equal charge of every person according to their abilities. As an alternative, he proposed a flat payment of 100 marks annually and the barony to be discharged of cess. This resulted in an order from the Privy Council in 1572 decreeing an annual order for all supplies would be made for the garrison. Cess would be imposed according to the ability of each person to pay, and if the garrison received their full pay, then the supplies were to be paid for in full. A letter to the Queen dated June 1573 from the Council confirmed, For the reformation of the Cess of Idron, we have taken order and caused the same to be exemplified under Your Majesty's Great Seal of this realm. Despite this, Harpole proceeded in his normal fashion. In 1572, Garth McShane Og of Idrone complained that Harpole has again been taking provision on part of the barony. In January 1574, Fitzwilliam wrote to Harpole from Trim, he does not intend to lose Her Majesty any more monies through his Harpole's negligence, nor to further license his doings. Mr Harpole will do well to attend to his affairs as Dublin as he is bound to. Fitzwilliam intervened again in August 1575, ordering Harpole to restore the kinds and garands which he wrongfully levied upon Sir Peter Crewe and his tenants. And in September of the same year, he wrote from Maryborough, that Sir Peter Carew has complained that you have not restored his pledges according to our order taken at Trim. As he is to enter into bonds of 100 marks to pay you such lawful duties as you proved before us, we straightly charge you to deliver the same. However, the death of Carew in November 1575 and the return of Sydney to replace Fitzwilliam seems to have resolved the problem and no further correspondence is recorded on the matter. Under Sydney, Harpole returned to favour and true to form, he quickly performed a volte face when he sponsored a petition of the gentlemen of the Queen's County pleading not to contribute with the English pay to the composition of profess. So, in conclusion, was Harpole a minor demon or faithful servant? Even the opinion of his superiors at the time was divided. Sidney writes positively of him. He calls him a faithful servant, um, a faithful Kentish man, I think he says, while Fitzwilliam had a much dimmer view. In his favour, Harpole was acting under, lawfully under commission. His methods appeared to have ensured a measure of control within Carlow, which was not exerted by other officials in their areas. However, Carlow, of course, uh, wouldn't have had the same intensity of rebel activity that, that Queen's County would have, or even parts of Wicklow. So we have to take that into account. He also appears to have carried out his duties without prejudice. At least in this instance, he went after both Ormond and, uh, and uh, Carew equally. However, Harpole's failure to exercise his martial powers to the fullest extent wasn't the mark of his altruism. It was a strategy to maximise the potential for personal gain. He might have also understood that the execution of rebels and other malefactors would result in an upsurge in retaliation and violence, making his profitable activities much more difficult. This might be the key to the understanding of the personality of Robert Harpole. He was a settler in an unsettled and dangerous land whose primary drive was to survive and establish a patrimony for his family. To achieve this, he astutely availed of every opportunity afforded by his position to consolidate and expand his holding as well. However, any grudging admiration we may have for his dogged determination and ambition must be balanced against his later involvement in the massacre at Mullamast, the elimination there of an unsuspecting gathering of the Amor clan, in which he played a central and leading role, is alone more than sufficient to place Harpole in Bradshaw's minor demon category. The last word on Harpole, and I suppose judgment on him, may be left to Richard Bagwell, author of Ireland and the Tudors, a man of strong unionist sentiment. 
Bagwell wrote about Harpo that despite being accused upon oath of having seized a vast number of cattle on all sorts of pretenses, of forcing labourers to work and in general of every sort of violence and corruption, no particular notice seems to have been taken of the charges against him. He remained in Carlow to found a family and to be remembered as the chief actor in one of the most horrible tragedies recorded even in Irish history. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. If you would like to access the archive of more than 140 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts. All podcasts are freely available on iTunes and on SoundCloud. For more information on the annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference, visit the conference website at tudorstuartireland.com.